Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody. I should be lighting a cake right now because I am so excited. This is a milestone show for me. I am celebrating my 200th show as the host of the Born to Talk radio show. I would have never imagined that down four years ago I would still be doing this, but I can tell you I love every minute of it, and I want to thank all of you for being on that journey with me. It's, it's just been a wonderful experience, but I can't have a Born to Talk show without a guest, and I have a very special guest today, Sarah Chapman. She is the founder and executive director of Build a Better Benin. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much, Marsha. Thank you for having me. And I, we cannot start the show without me telling you a huge congratulations on your 200th episode. I feel so honored and special to be your guest on such a huge milestone event. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And for those of you that are listening, I had the privilege of meeting Sarah a couple of months ago at my Playa Venice Sunrise Rotary Club meeting, and Sarah was our featured program for 30 minutes, and I knew right away, she was probably five minutes into her presentation, and I went, oh boy, I need to get my business card out because I want to know more about Sarah and her organization. So with that aside... I thought we could start, Sarah, by just letting our listeners know a little bit about you. So can you tell us about your background? Yeah. Um, I have a background in healthcare. So I'm actually a registered nurse who currently lives in London, and I kind of split my time between California and London. I'm born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I went into nursing and started taking care of little babies in the neonatal ICU and I moved out of bedside healthcare about 13 years ago to get into more international clinical business development. And so I have an extensive background in um, expanding businesses throughout the world outside of the United States using my clinical background uh, in the medical technology space. So that's what I kind of do for my, I call it my big girl job because we all. Um, <laughs> You build a better banana is our labor of love, and so nobody takes a salary. So that's kind of my big girl's job background. Well, that's that's really interesting because, frankly, as we as we move into through this show, that that background in nursing is very integral in and in how your organization got started. So I think what's really um, important as we begin to understand what it is that you are all about and and your organization, let's let's identify where Benin is. I know that it's in West Africa. Can you can you tell us a little bit about the country? 
Oh yeah, you know what? Actually, Marsha, you don't don't feel bad because when I first got sent to Benin eight years ago on a medical mission trip, I had no idea where it was either. They just said, "Hey, you're going to this place called Benin, called West Africa. Get a ticket." So I literally bought my flight without ever knowing where I was going. So I had to look at a map <laughs> after I had my flight to go there for the first time. But it's a tiny. Very magical, though. A very tiny country in West Africa. It borders the western border of Nigeria, and it's sandwiched between Nigeria and Togo. Um, it has a population of about 11 million people, and it's the size of Tennessee, around the same kind of size as, as the state of Tennessee. So it's a very tiny little country kind of tucked away into West Africa on the coast. That's interesting. Do they? Do they... Do they speak French there? Do they speak multiple languages? They actually, yeah. So it's a former French colonized country. So they do speak French. However, the native languages are all tribal languages. And there's 57 different tribal languages that you might speak if you are Beninois. There are a couple of major ones. The biggest language is called Fon, which is spelled F as in Frank, O-N, Fon. Um, but they, yeah, 57 different languages you might encounter if you're out into the rural areas of the country. Can you imagine speaking 57 languages just in the state of Tennessee? That'd be, that'd, that'd be really interesting. Truly. And I, I guess what occurs to me, cause I have been to Africa and I have, I'm, I'm aware of tribal languages. Do, do they understand each other's tribal languages or does that really separate them completely? Um, there is there are some crossover. Many people speak multiple languages in Benin. So most people speak a combination of, of course, French, and then maybe a couple of the, the prominent different languages. So there can be some crossover. However, when you get out into the more rural communities in Benin, where you might not have running water or electricity, you'll have whole communities that speak their own language, and that's the only language they speak. So it can draw people together, but it also can actually kind of put you in pockets depending on where you're born as well. So there's a little mixture of both. Well, I, it's it's quite remarkable, and you are quite re- remarkable because – how did you even get connected there? You mentioned that you were on this flight that you just said, okay, I'm in, and didn't know where you were going, but you didn't know the language, and you didn't have any support. How did you, how did you do that? <laughs> because I'm a crazy nurse. That's, that's how I did it. I decided, I decided to take a volunteer trip with an organization similar to everybody's familiar with Doctors Without Borders. I went Mm -hmm. with an organization kind of similar to what they do, um, and there was a nonprofit that was sending healthcare workers, nurses and doctors, out to Benin, West Africa on two-week trips, humanitarian trips. And what we did is we would set up a makeshift clinic in the very rural parts of the area and see patients all day. And we'd have a line of patients all around the building. And we would just show up in the morning from sunrise to sunset and see patients for various healthcare needs. And so I volunteered with them on a two-week trip. And they send me to this random obscure place called Benin. And I get on my flight and it takes about 36 hours to get there. And you're hot and you're sweaty and you're sticky and you're traveling with all these bags. You're meeting up with other people on your team from around the world. So by the time you land in Benin, it's one in the morning, you're exhausted, and you get out of that plane onto the tarmac and that hot, 
sticky, balmy African air like hits you in the face, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, it's even difficult to breathe because the air is so hot and humid. And I remember coming downstairs off of the plane directly onto the tarmac. And at this point, I had never, ever stepped foot onto the continent of Africa at this point in my life. This was eight years ago. And I remember that my feet hit the physical ground of the tarmac, which is the first time my body had ever made connection to Africa. And I physically felt this rush of electricity go through my body. And it went from my toes all the way up into my head. And it kind of jolted me awake. And I had this feeling, overwhelming feeling like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm home. I feel like I belong here. And clearly I'm not, I have roots in, in Europe. I have Irish roots, Italian roots in my family. I'm not from originally from Africa. My family is not, but I immediately felt, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm home. Something magical is about to happen in my life. And it was a physical feeling. And so while I was there, those two weeks, I fell in love. I fell in love with everything about the country, the culture, everything that I, that I experienced. So I'm going to fast forward, and the very next year, I decided to go back on my own, not with the organization, and to see if I could scout out projects and see, see if there was a potential to start some good there, and I decided to move there. So I quit my corporate nursing job. I was working in the corporate world at the time and doing very well, and I decided, well, I'm going to write my COO letter and tell him, you know what? I'm going to resign and move to the bush in Africa. And I sent that off at midnight one night, and I thought to myself, what in the heck did I just do? Um, but mm-hmm. I did it. I sold my uh, possessions. I got rid of my apartment in uh, Hermosa Beach, which is down in Los Angeles, California. And I decided to move there. And I lived and I volunteered at a clinic while I kind of set up projects and met people there, learned the language. I had to learn the language, the culture. Um, I spoke no French at the time, and not a lot of people speak English in Benin. And I just literally just dove off the, the platform into the deep end. And over the course of the last seven years, that was seven years ago. So over the course of the last seven years, I've started a 501c3. So we are a registered charity with the um, United States government. And we grew from $100 in the bank to where we are with all the projects we have. So it's definitely been a huge adventure, Marsha, that's for sure. How I, I really, I, for those of you that are listening, maybe your mouth is sort of gaping open like mine. I mean, obviously, you are an adventurous person. Uh, um, you were ready for this. And, and when you described that electric feeling that went through your body, I'm certain that that was a real turning point for you. And it said to you, I need to be here. They they need me and I need them. And to just pick up and move not knowing anybody was pretty remarkable, frankly. And I I applaud you for being so brave to do that. So you moved there. And then was it, how how soon after you moved there, because you were helping them, did you actually begin your 501c3? Well, I moved there um, because our, our, um, our organization very much, very much at the core, at our core values is empowerment. So I wanted to move there not to actually, quote, unquote, help people. Um, there's kind of a, a stigma that we like to break, and we don't want to be a part of the stereotype of 
Western nations or people coming into developing countries to be this like savior, right? So the reason I moved there was actually not to immediately help people. I wanted to immerse myself in the culture, in the language, learn, because I mean, Benin is very, very steeped in a lot of deep history. Uh, the slave trade started in Benin and Togo. Voodoo also started in Benin and Togo. So this is a very rich, culturally, um, culturally diverse part of the world. And so I went there really just to learn and be completely saturated by, by the world of Benin. And so I was on that journey for about a year. And then I decided there was um, enough space, and I had met I met some great, amazing people, um, local Beninois, that we decided to kind of start this endeavor together. So I came back to the states to start the 501c3 in 2012. So that's where when officially we started it to be a registered charity, so we could do fundraising for our projects. Oh, that's quite a story. I think it would be really terrific um, if we spent some some real um, concentrated time about this organization. So you started in 2012, which is, you know, seven years ago thereabouts. And so what is, what is your mission? What, what is your mission statement? What, what is this organization all about? Mm-hmm. Great question. Our mission is we bring healthcare and education to the women and children of Benin, West Africa. Super broad mission statement. <laughs> and then we yes, do that. Okay. Yeah, we did it on purpose, actually, because we want to be able to do a variety of different projects under our umbrella mission. So we have had, over the last seven years, we've had quite a few projects from big to small. Um, some of our smaller projects is we had a chicken farm for a while that would provide food for an orphanage we were working with, partnered with. We've had rural healthcare education where we go into the villages and we teach um, healthcare practices to either midwives and nurses in the clinics or directly to people in their communities. Uh, like like um, public health public health topics, we've done we've worked we've partnered with nutrition centers to help them get uh, medications and nutritional supplies for moms that might be single moms in the area that need extra help. And then one of our biggest projects, which is our own project, we aren't partnered with anybody, is our Maison de la Destinée, and that's our House of Destiny. And so in Benin, there is a practice. Um, where a lot of children are, I mean, there, there are orphaned and abandoned children everywhere around the world. And so in Benin, we also have a lot of orphaned and abandoned children. But in Benin, there is a very high, high risk. It's a higher risk than other areas in the world for child trafficking, child marriages, and still modern slave trade. So when a child is a truly orphaned and abandoned, these are the kids that are, are at risk or have been stolen into one of these various situations. And those are the children that we actually rescue. So we rescue situation they are in, uh, whether it's a slavery situation, whether it's a child marriage, a lot of the girls are given off to be married very, very young, um, 12, 11, 12 years old. So we um, go in and we rescue these children. We literally steal them out of their situations 
And then they come and live at our Maison de la Destinée, which is a, uh, a home that they can get their health care, they get an education, and they get the rehabilitation to be empowered. So none of our kids are victims. None of our kids are a product of their past. We help to empower and um, grow them to where they're in a healthy space for who they are. We are small but mighty, so we don't take in a lot of kids at a time because we really want to focus on each specific child, what their gifts and talents are, what their traumas are, and help them find a way in life and then in that's, that's uh, healthier and more empowered than when they came to us. So uh, that's, our, that's our major project that we have. So we've got a really cool house that's just full of smiles and amazing children right now. It's, I would really recommend that those of you that are listening right now and are just sparked with curiosity to know more, because we'll, we'll mention this again towards the end of the show, but I do want to mention that if you are interested in, while you're listening to this and you would like to go to, to Sarah's website, you simply type in build a better banana, and it's B-E-N-I-N, just one N, dot org. And you will see a lot of what, what she's talking about here, but you will also see some beautiful pictures. It, it will really give you an idea of, of what they are doing um, in, in this country. And I'm thinking about these children. Um, boys, girls, is there, are, there, are there more one of the, than another? Are there, how, how does that divide along gender? Uh, that's a great question. You know, we've been really lucky, and I always tell our kids that um, they, we didn't find them, that they found us. And so mm. the first day that they might get rescued, we tell them, look it, we did not find you, you found us. And that's a first step in empowerment. So they may not feel like it, but they have found us and they are now part of a family. So um, we don't specifically go out and look for an equal number for the different genders. So currently, right now, we are at capacity at our home. Um, we actually need to do an additional construction to add more dormitories. But currently, we have 10 children and it's split equally. It happens to be split equally right now, five and five. Interesting. In the case we've had one of our girls graduate out and we might have six of one for the other. But the bottom line is, is the children who are supposed to find us, find us. And I'll be honest with you, Marcia. I mean, we could go out every day and find 20 children that we could take in every single night. It, it would be easy to fill a place full of 300 children in a span of three days. Um, so the ones that we do find are very, very special to us because we know that there are hundreds more where they come from, and there's only so many children that we can take in to focus our resources. So we empower those children. We empower our kids through that, even how they got to us as well. Any siblings? We actually do. do you, we have a set of yes. – um, we do. We have a boy and a girl set. Yeah. We have uh, mm -hmm. some siblings that we took in. They're our newest arrivals, actually. They've been with us for, Vanessa and Honorat have been with us for, oh, I want to say about 14 months. Um, and it's okay. something interesting is our kids don't have birth certificates. So when we find really? them, there's usually no, yeah, so there's, unless their mother, the birth mother has had record of them, like maybe she went to a hospital and there's a birth certificate birth certificate generated, 
Um, most of our kids, I, I can't even say most, all of our kids don't have a birth certificate. Either they never had one or it's been long lost or we have no record. There's no public record of our kids because the children have been orphaned and abandoned and they're in terrible situations. So nobody knows their history. So something interesting about our children is um, no one knows their birthdays. And we don't really ever know exactly how old they are. So we kind of guess. So, for instance, Vanessa and Anurat, Vanessa is probably around six right now. Anurat is probably about seven and a half, maybe eight. Uh, so we kind of guess, and then we, we ask them what they think their birthdays are, and whatever they say or whatever they choose is what we celebrate. <laughs> so the kids oh, kind of get nice. to choose their own, their own birthday. Or sometimes what we've done in the past is we've thrown like one big party, like one big birthday party. For, we might just choose a day when we're all together and we say, you know, today's the day we're going to get a cake and just celebrate everybody's birthday. So we kind of make, make these things up as, I go, as we go to celebrate because our kids don't really know their birthdays. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm putting myself in this position of where you are and as I mentioned earlier, I have also been to Africa, and I was in Soweto and in South Africa. And mm-hmm. people that have never been to Africa, um, what I think you and I would probably both agree on is that African people are remarkably wonderful people. Um, I appreciated the people in Africa. When we went to Soweto and we were met by somebody that had founded a school there and the children were basically living in what what we would call here in the U.S. containers something that you would maybe see on being a train being going down the tracks with these big containers or off of a port you know some dock and this is this is where they live but what this man said to me and, and I and I've mentioned this before I've had some other shows on Africa as well but I, I can't help but say it because it's just so important. He said to us, ladies and gentlemen, please leave your pity face at the gate. We are not to be pitied. We are to be loved. And we are loving people. And we don't want your pity. And I thought to myself, wow, it was like I could have imagined not before stepping into the ground thinking, oh, I'm going to just feels so terrible and oh no oh no and it couldn't have been more opposite I couldn't have seen more joy more giggling running around happy children dancing singing just loving you know even though yes they had to get their water from a spigot and yes they didn't have the what we would want our children to have here in the states but my goodness they certainly were not pitiful and um, I do think it's very sad that your children come to you because they have been orphaned, and that must bring a lot of psychological issues for them. But how beautiful that you have this house of destiny, which is such a beautiful name, frankly, to um, have this safe haven for these children to come, whether it's 10 or it's 500, you're making a difference in their lives. It just, it's phenomenal, really. Well, thank you, Marsha. Thank you. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I do want to stress during our time together is that 
what I believe makes our organization a bit different than others, or at least where we try to be exemplary and we try to do things different and shake things up is that there's unfortunately, especially in um, West Africa, if you look at the history of West Africa, it was a colonized area of the world, right? Whether it was England or France. And after colonization and places like Benin received their independence, there wasn't a lot of resources left behind for these countries. And specifically for Benin, what ended up happening way, way back when they received independence is that France pulled out of their country and left them with very little to build an infrastructure, education, and they were just kind of left to fend on their own after being so heavily reliant on a place like France. So what ended up happening in like the 70s and 80s is a lot of countries, including the United States, would pour a lot of money into these what we would call third world countries back in the day. That was the that old term from them, third world countries. And America is not the only culprit. European nations as well would pour, pour money into various countries around the world. And unfortunately, a lot of that money never saw the hands of the people. It, uh, many times it went to governments and corruption and into the pockets of people who should not have been pocketing it. I'm not picking on Benin. This happens in a lot of countries. I mean, we have modern day corruption here in the United States. Unfortunately, though, the point I'm trying to make is that this has um, turned places like Benin kind of through no fault of their own, at least the people, not the governments, but the actual beautiful, amazing people into a country where they start believing the only way I can feed my family, the only way I can get ahead because there's no jobs in Benin, the unemployment rate is like 45%. The only way that I can get ahead and feed my family is if I find somebody outside of Benin to help me with, right? And so this whole, what we hear in the news is like white savior complex comes about. And one of the things that Build a Better Benin, we are very hyper vigilant and hyper aware of is not perpetuating that it's like the feed, feed a fish or teach Amanda fish. And so all of our projects, I, and, I, and I, I hear what you're saying, you know, many nations where people are having little resources are still so happy and there's so much to be learned from that. But the flip side of that is how do we empower and grow people within themselves, within their families and within their communities to be strong, amazing, resilient people who give back to their own community, who don't have to look outside of their community or outside their country for resources, because Benin is actually rich in resources. They export cotton and they export fashion, and um, there are high, there are there are people I know that actually participate in Paris Fashion Week for a fashion that was made and created in Cote de Nuba Benin. And what we and there's tech. Tech is coming out of Africa. And I think what a lot of people don't always sit back and realize is given tools, given resources, you better watch out for Africa because it's coming to get us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is rich in you know, it, like I said, tech and fashion and oil and all these other resources to give back to the world. And so part of what we do at the organization is empowering our kids and our partners, our program directors, their wives, their families. And we're the only, you know, the only Western people involved are myself and the board for fundraising. But everything else is run by my friends and who I consider family down on the ground in Benin, and our projects, to be honest with you, Marsha, I can't take credit for. They are the brainchild of our partners on the ground who just need a little resource help to get these things launched, their big ideas, where they want to go, where they want to take the kids. So I hear what you're saying. There's so much that, that we can learn from people who have less, 
Um, that is definitely, definitely true. But I, I, I build a better banana weed never, ever. We try to steer clear and we're very hypersensitive to trying to stay away from this like savior complex. Like we aren't in there to, to save them. Or like you said, have pity on people. Um, if anything, mm-hmm. some days I think that the people of Benin should have pity on us because we're, <laughs> we're so desensitized to, to things in this world and we overlook the joys and we overlook the little things in life um, that do bring happiness. And so I, I agree with you. There's, there's, absolutely no, there's absolutely no pity. We're all about, you know, empowerment and, and being a part of your community and being a proud Beninois person and just giving the resources to do it. I, I so agree with you. And the man that, that was introducing us to the, to the uh, area, he lived there. And he was mm-hmm. fortunate. He got a, a university education. And then he came back there. He didn't go on mm-hmm. and go to the States or do something like that. He was doing precisely what you're saying. And, I, you know, if you've never been to villages like this, you, you really don't know what to expect. You, you really just don't know what to expect. And I was so taken by the joyful people that I met wherever we went, all over, from Zimbabwe to Botswana, all over South Africa, what I came back with was this joy in my heart for the people that I met and that I would so mm-hmm. go back there in a heartbeat. I should go with you. How often do you go there? How often do you go to Benin? Yeah, um, I go, you're, Marcia, you are more than welcome to come, girl. Oh, you can man. come with us on yes. our next trip. That'd be yes. great to have you. Wouldn't that be fun? Um, oh, man. Yeah, it'd be really fun. We At this point, I don't have to live there. When I was living there, growing right. the organization, I was, constantly there but now because we've got Constantine and his wife Mama Miracle we have Mama God we have many people on the ground that are using their time to run the programs I don't have to go but maybe once or twice a year Um, and I have to strategically go when the kids are out of school too so I can't just like go in in like October because all the kids are in school and I won't get time to spend with them so during our summer months is the best time to go so yeah the next time the next time we go, you should come with us. You'd have a blast if you can stand the heat and the bugs. If you can do heat and bugs, you can totally come. <laughs> I know there's that whole mosquito thing, but that will make that for another talk. Um, so, <laughs> so, you, so how would you describe the difference? Because you can't be the only nonprofit. So how, how do you, how would you differ, differentiate yourself? Do you think that it's really how vital you make the Ben, as you say, Benwanese, is that is that the correct way of saying that? How do you say the name of the, of the people that live there? Benwanese. Oh, Benwanese. Yeah, because I guess Benwanese. Yeah, a little bit. Got to throw a little bit of French in there. Le Benwanese. Yes. <laughs> mm. But you you are different than some of the other nonprofits, I bet, aren't you? Um, I I tend to think that we are. Um, although maybe I'm fooling myself. Who knows? But I think that. There are two big differences. Is one I alluded earlier that we're small but mighty. So we um, it takes very little in as far as resources and financing to do things in Benin because it's still a pretty inexpensive country. So for instance, um, we need to add a second level, like a second story, to our Maison de la Destinée, and for full construction, plumbing electricity, water, everything, it'll only cost 40,000 U.S. dollars, which is very inexpensive considering you're adding on half a house to another house. So 
we say we're small but mighty because we can get a lot of stuff done, Marsha, which is nice. We have mm-hmm. zero bureaucratic overhead. We have zero red tape that we have to deal with unless we have problems in the country. Um, and we fly under the radar when we're in Benin. And when I say that, I mean when you're a huge organization like Red Cross or uh, United Way, things like this that are in foreign countries, you have a lot of hard times with the government, uh, especially in developing countries like Benin. Uh, the government really is out to get you because they want to pocket your money. So because we're not huge and because we partner with locals and not really local other charities, we get a lot of stuff done. So if you gave me a dollar, about 99 cents of that would go directly into our account in Benin and go directly for, let's say, our school bus that we're raising money for or the construction project. So that's one thing that makes us different is we have zero overhead. Every dollar you give goes directly to our projects. And we can get a lot done because we're not making a lot of waves. We're not out there really big in the country with, you know, cars with our name on the side of them or anything like that. Number two, I think that makes us different is that um, we focus on the positive. So as you've been in Africa, you know that there's a lot of there's a lot of junk that goes down in Africa. And let's just be honest, there's a lot of stuff that goes down in every country around the world where we've got people who are poor, under-resourced, starving, sick, especially the children. And unfortunately, and quite exploitatively, in the past, Africa has been betrayed and still is portrayed in many sectors as this poor, impoverished, people are dying with these big bellies and the children have like flies in their eyes. And this is what, you know, organizations have used to promote the heartstrings and exploit children so they can have money given to their organization. Um, we vehemently abhor that. Abhor that. We, we, have, we want no part in that and we want to keep our, ourselves completely separated from anything like that. So you'll notice anything that you see that's public facing our website, our social media, our Instagram, our stories. We don't share sad stories. We don't share sad pictures. We don't, we don't, we all know what's happening. We realize that the public, the American public, they know, they know that there are, you know, quote unquote, starving children in Africa. We've heard that since we were children. Uh, We think it's, we think it's kind of disgusting to exploit that. Yet what we like to do is we focus on the positive. We focus on the empowerment, like I've already talked about. We focus on Mm -hmm. the rehabilitation and we focus on the joy that is inside each child. Yes. I might have a child that comes from a terrible, terrible story, and her background is just absolutely appalling, and it would just make you, sometimes makes me cry when I still think about her. But we don't focus on that. What we focus on is Mm -hmm. her her talents and what she's good at and the things we're able to draw out of her to be a functioning, healthy young lady as she gets older. So that is what we, that, that makes us different as well. We all know that there's, junk going down in Africa. We don't need to talk about it anymore. It's done. No. It's over. It's tired. And it exploits people. And we f- frankly think it's disgusting. So you'll see that we are all focused on the positives. We find the silver lining and we find that glass half full. Well, what I love about your website, and I really do encourage people to go to the website, is you see the joy. You you see that picture of Vanessa, and we're going to talk about another little girl in a, in a minute. You see it. I mean, it it is it's beautiful. I, I I just think your website really really does deliver precisely what it is you're talking about. But it must have been a little scary to get this started 
when you didn't have, you know, a lot of money to put this together was how that must have that must have been a little scary, right? <laughs> it, it was. You know, I I have a personal one of my personal mantras is we all should leave the world a little bit better than when we got to borrow it. And I don't care what that means. We all should leave a legacy somehow. And I don't even mean leave a legacy like what are people going to say about me after I die. I'm talking about leaving a legacy in someone else's life. So I look at the word legacy a bit different. I think that you could go out today and help an old lady across the street and you've left a little bit of joy and a little bit of a legacy in her life, something she's going to remember and appreciate and take to heart. So it can be something small. It can be something big. We all should honor what's inside of our, you know, we all operate at a different vibrational level. So find that thing that puts electricity through your body, you know, like when I stepped on that tarmac and and pursue it, whether it's a part-time hobby, whether it's one time you walk an old lady across the street or where you're insane enough to move across the country to the, the bush in Africa. It doesn't really matter. They're all equal because we're leaving a legacy and we're leaving the world a little bit better than when we got to borrow it. So I know I digress a little bit. I know you're I'm just really passionate about about this. Um, but I think so. But that's 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 what makes your organization so successful. You you ha- you didn't just start this yesterday. You've seen the successes, and it can't start without the founder and the executive director having your mindset. Because you set the stage for those folks that are boots on the ground. They understand your um, passion, and then they can deliver it because they agree. You're on the, you don't have to explain it to them. They already understand it, and I think mm-hmm. that that's what makes you so, so successful. And I like the way you described what you think a legacy means because it's so not centered on you. It is centered on someone else, like you said, just that that act of kindness to to help a lady across the street. I, it, it's mm-hmm. fabulous. But I, I'm certain that you've probably, you know, had some obstacles along the way. It, it, I'm sure that this didn't come without a few of those. Is is that true? Did you have a few obstacles along the way? Nah, totally smooth sailing when you're dealing with corrupt government. Totally <laughs> fine. <laughs> well, oh my gosh, I wish. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah we've, had, so we've had quite a few. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I wanna, I'm just curious. You know, I suspect that that's not exactly true. So what, 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 <laughs> what are some of the things that you, find, that you found yourself having to deal with? Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you, Marsha, it is. So very interesting being someone who didn't grow up in Benin to be to navigate such a rich, beautiful, and magical culture and country. God, it's so magical there. Um, but it is not without its challenges. Um, it is it is a corrupt corrupt country. The government, in my opinion, is uh, quite corrupt. It's not it's not totally for the people. So we've had problems with, um, for instance, we had land in the northern part of Benin that we were going to do our Maison de la Destiny. And we had plans for our well, we had purchased the land, and the mayor of the town that we were going to be working in had found out that a foreign nonprofit was involved. And to a government like that, they're like, ooh, foreign foreign nonprofit, that means money, we can get money. So 
it, over the span of the next three years, he kept changing the actual physical borders of our parcel of land as the land developed. And as he kept changing the borders, he kept shrinking and shrinking our parcel to where he was giving off pieces to his family. And where the well was oh going boy. to go, we, have, we were just about to start construction on the well, and he decided to, oh, I'm going to change the borders again, and that's going to go to another. So once you put the well in, it's actually going to belong to me or my family. So it was just this and – and you don't have any say. It's not like you have – it's not like you have litigation and lawyers there that can help you with property management. That's not how, that's not how their world works. So um, we ended up, you know, spending money and having no results for it because of how difficult the struggle was. And we learned a lot through that, but I will have to say there was a divine reason behind it that I didn't know at the time. And I'll fast forward to recent in of recent times, the Northern part of Benin is becoming a little more dangerous and there's travel advisory warnings because of um, extremist terrorism groups that are infiltrating the border between Burkina Faso and Benin. And where our home would have been built is a town right next to the, that very same border where insurgents are coming through. And so my children would have been at risk for tip, it may be the type of situation where we've seen in Nigeria where girls and children are stolen. And so I look back and I think, say, thank God, we actually had really? so many problems and we weren't, we weren't able to do our projects there. I don't care how much money we lost because of the corruption there. I'm so grateful because now we would have been faced with some very serious issues had our home been built up there. So it all worked out for a divine reason. But yes, working in Benin is not without its challenges. I'm, one of the most interesting things, Marcia, is that Voodoo started in West Africa, in Benin, in Togo, parts of Nigeria. And voodoo is pretty much believed in or practiced by everybody. So they don't necessarily really? consider it a religion. Yeah, it's not really considered a religion in Benin. It's considered part of your culture for the most part. It's your history. It's what your family was built on many, many thousands of years ago. And they carry through a lot of these practices. So whether you're Muslim or Christian, which are the two major religions in Benin, you, you either believe in or you believe in the power of voodoo. And so that makes working in Benin so fascinating to me, at least. I mean, I am just obsessed with my fascination with with voodoo i don't necessarily i have my personal beliefs around it but working in a world where it, it there's threads of it everywhere from how our kids get to us one of our one of our children her village thought she was a witch and so they were going to kill her and ostracize her because they thought she was a witch which clearly she's not it, they thought she was a witch because both of her parents had died so she was three years old so she must have cast a spell on them and so they ostracized this three-year-old and she was out, oh. put out to be, you know, traded. And so that was our youngest, Anne-Marie. And so these practices, which you and I, would, a lot of people would think that's ludicrous, but you have to, I have had to, and our teams have had to integrate that into how we move forward with what we do, because it's very, very real to people in Benin. You can't say that is the most ridiculous thing I've heard of. She's obviously not a witch. She's starving and her parents died because her mother hemorrhaged during childbirth and her father was hit by a car and that no that's not to the locals to them she is a witch you and I'm not there to change a culture I'm not there to tell them voodoo you know to share my opinions on voodoo that's not our mission we don't want to change anything about who we work with or love there at all we're not there to change anything we're there to adapt 
and give resources to be empowered. So it's very, that's probably one of the like biggest, most interesting, interesting, sometimes challenging things is the practice of voodoo because it, it infiltrates their business decisions. It infiltrates their farming seasons. It's, it's, there's always a constant thread moving through the culture of voodoo. Wow. That's really interesting. I, I, you know, who, who, who knows? I mean, you we're over here and we don't really, unless you speak to somebody that's experienced this, we really don't, we might have an idea of what it is, but um, not to the level that you just described. That's, that's pretty remarkable um, to, to think, to think that. And, and I, and I do, I do hear that there is no judgment. I haven't, there's no judgment about you and anything that you say about what it is you do. You're not there to change anything. You are there, to, as you said, to empower. And I think that that is what has come through so clearly. And perhaps speaking about really empowerful people. Let's let's talk about two people that you had talked about just a little earlier, which was which is um, Mama Miracle and her husband Constantine, because. I'm a story collector, and I want to know their stories. Let's let's talk about them now. Ah, uh, I wish. <laughs> to be honest with you, I wish their English was a little better, or we could do this in French because, oh, they're the most fascinating, most beautiful humans on the planet. Um, we all consider each other family. Literally, Constantine and Mama Miracle. Their last name is Jomina, and so they have adopted me, and they call me Sarah Jomina. And then I call them Constantine Chapman. So we've, we have just fully integrated into each other's families. Um, but I met Constantine when I was living in Benin about seven years ago, and I met him at a conference event. I happened to be invited to a conference in the main city where I was, uh, when I was living there. And he approached me the first day, and he's like, hello, my name is Constantine. I feel like we need to know each other. And I have stranger danger. Personally, when I go to Benin, I, my, I'm probably one of the most gregarious, outgoing, friendly people you'll meet. But when you put me in Benin, where you have to kind of have your guard up a little bit, I, am, I have stranger danger. So when I have someone approach me saying, I want to be friends with you, I, I get a little nervous, not, over, not, not really just maybe a little safety, but what do you want from me? Because I'm the guest here, and what do, you, what do you want? You want a partnership? What's going on? So he does this every day for three days. The first day I tell him, no, thank you. I don't need any more friends. The second day, hi, good to see you again. I'm Constantine. We need to know each other. No, thank you. Third day, hi, good to see you again. I'm Constantine. (laughs) Finally, the third day, he breaks me down and I give him my phone number. (laughs) And he calls me, of course. And I'm like, what do you want from me? I don't know you. You know, this, this, again, stranger danger. And he says to me, I just want to invite you out to my village. Come to my town. I'd like to show you around. And he, him and his wife live there. He's actually, we are a non-religious based uh, organization because we deal with voodoo, Muslim, Christian, but he happens to be a Christian pastor. So he's like, come to see my church, come to see my village. I'd love to host you. So I said, well, why not? I'm not doing anything else in the village today. So I go visit him. That's the beginning of the most amazing divine intervention relationship ever. I meet him and his wife. Immediately, there's a connection. He tells me that his wife and him are already doing some of the things that Build a Better Benin does. They just don't have the resources. He already takes in kids. He already rescues children. He already has programs 
through his church that he does for women and widows. So he already has this heart of passion. He already has that electricity in his body I talked about when I met him. And it was crazy how we are completely separate parts of the world. There's a 10, at least a 10-year age gap between the two of us, but we have the same exact heart. We don't speak the same language. We don't have the same type of family background, but we have the same exact heart. So I need him. This was seven years ago. The rest is history. I mean, we've grown this together. And his wife, Mama Miracle, which very quickly, her name is Mama Miracle because when you are a woman in Benin, and let's say your mother named you Sarah, right? Me. So my mom names me Sarah. So my whole life, people will call me Sarah until I have my first child. Once I have my first child, your name changes, not officially, but what people call you, to Mama and then the name of whoever your firstborn is. So Constantine and Mama Miracle have a, their oldest daughter. Her name is Miracle. So that's why her name changed from Francis to Mama Miracle. And so now for the rest of her life, even though they have two children and they have one on the way now, she's expecting in a couple months, um, she will always be known as Mama Miracle. And that woman, oh, my gosh, Mother's Day just passed, and I think this woman is, oh, she's stronger than any superhero you could ever imagine. I mean, she cares for her own children, but then we have our 10 kids, so she has an assistant, a woman named Mama God, because Mama God named her firstborn God. But uh, they cook and they clean and they make sure the kids go to their school, their the school in the morning. They make sure that the teacher comes to work with them three days a week. They make sure that they are bathed and they're healthy. And these women and Mama Miracle works tirelessly for this, and it's it's also within her heart. She also operates on this like electrical level, and she is just beautiful in and out and you know I, I have asked permission to share this story but even last year her and Constantine suffered a stillborn um, baby and so they had oh. a third baby last year who was stillborn and through that her strength and her tenacity to still wake up and be a mom to all of her children and you know now she's pregnant with their rainbow baby and these women oh gosh I just I could never even hold a candle to mama miracle and mama god I could never I, don't th I mean, I'm a tough cookie, but these women are just beautiful and amazing. So I could go on and on about them. I won't. But they're amazing people, and they're the reason why we have the projects we have. There's a reason why we even do what we do, because them and the team that they've built on the, on the ground, because of through their vision and their passion, you know, we just partner with them to help with the resources and maybe some of the business ideas and the budgets and so forth. We're all in this together, and it's their brainchild as well. So. I, I can't. I can go on and on about them. They're amazing people. But, well, I, you know, I, 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 it's, it's so interesting the story about how her name is what her name is, and and how you've become so integrated and 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 meshed as a family is just tremendous. Uh, it, it's 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 inspiring, Sarah. It's inspiring what what happened when you put your feet on that tarmac, and because of that, what you've been able to do. Even if you are in San Francisco or in London, um, your your connection. And thankfully, we do have technology today. And I I don't really know what the technology is. Are you are I, I because I don't know. So I'm just not going to apologize for stupid questions. If you don't know, you don't know the answer. Is uh -huh. there a do? Can you be in touch? Is there Wi-Fi? I mean, is there a way that you can? 
be in touch with each other across the world this way? Yeah, actually, Marsha, that is a great question because honestly, up until about, I'd say about five, six years ago, Wi-Fi was really only in internet cafes and even internet cafes were pretty spotty with what you're going to get. So it's progressed. Benin has advanced in technology leaps and bounds the last six years. You can actually get Wi-Fi at your house now, and you can have smartphones that are data connected. They've put, you know, this is not my area of expertise, but they've basically wired the nation, however they do that, <laughs> uh, for for all the data and Wi-Fi that you could need. So at this point, I mean, I can FaceTime with my kids in the village. And they live in a very rural, they don't live in a city, they live in a very rural community. Uh, we have running water and electricity because we've put that in at the home. Uh, and there is electricity in their village, but still it's pretty, pretty remote. It's it's pretty out it's away from the city, but yes, I can FaceTime them if I want to. We WhatsApp message. They've got the, the kids don't each have Facebook. We won't allow them to do that. But we have Facebook through Constantine and his wife. So we can communicate all the time, post things. And the families here that are connected to the kids can see their kids growing up and things like this. So technology has actually been really, really good for us to help kind of bridge that 8,000-mile gap. That's, that's wonderful. I, I really didn't know. And, I, and I'm sure that when people go and visit your site, you know, they, you certainly accept um, donations and you would certainly, you know, love to have people contribute to, to make a difference. Because I noticed that even on your site, we didn't talk about this, but um, clean water and your school bridge project, boy, that school bridge, bridge project is, is really significant. Um, we, we take for granted that, you know, we want to make sure we don't have, we, we, we just take our clean water so for granted. You know, and mm-hmm. um, it you just can't do that when you're in, like you say, the bush and rural rural parts of, mm-hmm. of of where people are living. It's it's really mm-hmm. just amazing what you guys are doing. I I just I I just love hearing about this, and and also I I know that there are just lovely pictures there. And one of the pictures that I wanted to ask you about really quick before. Um, we get um, over to somewhere else. Is these kids get to take cultural trips, don't they? They get to actually yes. go places. That's yes. really that's. I'm and do, so, and do I'm they, so glad you brought this up. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I want to hear about the cultural trips. This is so cool. Oh, I'm sorry. I get so excited about things, Marsha. <laughs> sorry, Fine. I interrupted you. Um, yes. So when our kids come to us, pretty much all of them at this point, no matter what age they come to us, they've never gone to school. More than half of them do not speak um, French. They speak whatever local language they've come from. So they don't even speak the language that can get them the farthest in like the cities and so forth. Everybody speaks French. Um, And they've never had any experiences beyond their village or beyond whatever situation they've been stolen into or um, enslaved into. So the kids don't come from a good spot, all of them. It's a a pretty safe blanket statement to say our kids aren't exposed to, to love, nurturing, or fun, a lot of fun, I'll have to admit, just being a kid. And so one of our big, huge things at Build a Better Benin, because we focus on the positive, happy empowerment and enriching their lives, is we take them on what we would call here in the States, we take them on field trips. They had no idea what a field trip was when we first started this program years ago. 
So we call them cultural excursions or cultural field trips because we try, well, what we do is we choose places within the country of Benin to teach the children something new, no matter what the subject matter is, and then make it fun for them as kids. So one of our first things we ever did with our kids is Benin is a coastal country, so they have beaches. So one of the first things we did with the kids is take them to a historical museum to learn about the history of their country. So our kids didn't even know the history of the slave trade, and they come from where the where it rooted from. So we took them to these museums to give them a cultural experience of just even their own culture and their own history, their own rich, diverse background, because they've never been exposed to this. Then we promptly took them to the beach so we could play on the beach. Let me tell you something. <laughs> we talked about voodoo. So a lot of the belief in voodoo is that either evil spirits, so there's the connection with water and evil spirits are very, it's very strong. So the evil spirits are either going to take you out to sea if you get into the water, even if, it's, if you touch the water with your big toe, the evil spirits can drag you out to the ocean. It's very dangerous. You don't go near the water unless you want your soul taken or even worse, your life taken. So this is what the kids are exposed to in the villages when they've come to us. So here I am telling them from California, the beaches of California, they're, they're crazy foreign mother. They call me Mama Sarah, and they just think I'm this crazy white lady sometimes. And I'm like, guys, we're going to go to the beach. We're going to pack a picnic, and we're going to frolic in the water. <laughs> Thoroughly freak the kids out, completely freak them out. They thought I was maybe trying to kill them. They thought I was trying to, like, tempt the, the fate of the voodoo gods. And so I had to run into the ocean first with Constantine because Con even he was a bit nervous. He's like, okay, I know I'm supposed to be adult about this, but I am still a little bit nervous because of the voodoo. So we frolic in the water. The kids, we practically have to like pick them up and drag them just to put their feet in for the first time completely screaming like oh my gosh and then after about 10 minutes they were fine everybody was fine and we're frolicking in the ocean but they were kind of happy to leave they're like we don't want to tempt the voodoo so <laughs> we left i'll fast forward to this last uh cultural field trip we did this last summer and we did a whole lesson plan on animal biology animal conservation and why it's important to conserve our planet so we have a small safari park in Benin, in the northern part of Benin. So we did our didactic classes, and then we decided to pile everybody in vans and go up and go on safari. So we took the kids on safari, and at one point, you can get out of the car and walk to a protected platform where you can overlook this lake, and you can see all the animals from this protected platform. The kids refused to get out of the car. For a half hour, I was in negotiation with like five to 17-year-olds because they had been taught that if you are in any type of park like this, the lions can sense you and they will jump out of the bushes and kill you no matter what. Like the lions will jump out and get you. And they're like, we've heard of stories of people being eaten by lions and we're not getting out of this car. Thoroughly freaked out again. <laughs> So it took me a half an hour to get the kids out of the car. By the way, safe and secure area. The, no one's getting attacked in this particular area. That's all kind of roped off or like quarantined off to, to watch animals from this platform. Oh, it was hilarious. The, the little girls were crying. I'm like, I feel like I'm doing more damage than good at this point. But then we all get out to the platform and they realize it's totally safe. And we see all these animals and I have pictures of them just mouths agape, staring at like, 
you know, these animals, antelope and crocodiles in the water uh, from the safety of this platform. And they just were all in complete and utter awe because they'd never experienced anything like this before. So the cultural trips are funny. I find them funny because I always say I'm thoroughly trying to freak out my kids by giving them new experiences. I mean, they ate pizza oh, for the funny. first time last summer, and they, they didn't like it. They're like, what kid doesn't like pizza? But they're just not used to it, right? Our kids aren't used sure. to pizza. So they look at it, and they're like, where's the rice? Ew. I don't see any rice. I don't want yeah. it. You know? Yeah. It's, just, it's a lot That's... of fun. Personally, I find it hilarious, oh. but... <laughs> The kids are always like, what is, are you going to make us try next? <laughs> oh, gosh. As, uh, you, you know, this, this is a one-hour show. This has got to be clearly a part two show because there is so much more we could talk about. I, I, I'm, I'm just I, – I worked really hard at not interrupting you because I wanted to, but then I don't want to because – you are a magnificent storyteller, and that is what's kept me so actively involved every week, week in and week out, in doing this because I don't have guests that don't have a passion about what they do. And there isn't anybody mm-hmm. that's listening that doesn't see that and feel that from what you're saying. This has been the quickest hour I think I've ever had. And we didn't get to some of the questions that I had planned to ask you, but we'll have to say that for next time. I want to remind people, build a better, B-E-N-I-N.org. That's all one word. You can learn more about what Sarah is doing there. And um, Mama, now you know how uh, Mama Miracle, I thought, how did she get her name Miracle? Well, because her daughter is a miracle, that's why. And, you know, I just, I have loved this hour so much with you. I've I've so appreciated, you know, had I not joined Rotary, you know, I would have never met you. So it's interesting how all of our circles, do you know, seriously, it's interesting how all of our circles go together. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have had you join me today. And I, and you know, and, and here's the thing that's so, so cool. Um, next week, I'm actually going to have three Rotarians on my show, from my from two from my Rotary, with the sole purpose of talking about what Rotary is doing to prevent human trafficking, and that's mm-hmm. going to be the focus of my show next week. But I'm I'm just delighted um, that you were able to spend this time with me, Sarah. And you know, I know Hermosa Beach was your home home at one point, and if you ever find yourself anywhere near Los Angeles International Airport, you know, we'll have to meet again and just hug it out because you are really a remarkable woman. I, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed this time with you. Well, thank you, Marsha. I really appreciate the accolades. You're right. This hour went by so fast, but I, I have know. to thank you for what you do as well. You talk about passion. This is your passion. You've hit 200 episodes today that is no easy feat you know so I appreciate you you and what you do and I I love that you tackle everything with passion it comes through in your voice it comes through in your guests and I feel very honored to have shared this milestone with you so thank you so much my sweet friend thank you really this isn't goodbye this is more like until we speak until we speak next time and everybody that's out there thank you for for supporting me and 
and following along because obviously that means a great deal to me as well. So until next time, I'm going to say goodbye, but but come back next week when we when the Rotary Friends will be with me and we'll be talking about another person persons that have a passion. So goodbye for now, everybody. Thanks again. <laughs>